This is The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you with thanks to tierlawnfarmlife.com. Good evening and you're very welcome. Martin Bridgman here with you tonight. Matt is unavoidably detained. But we have plenty of uh, interesting things coming up. He, uh, We would have had some coverage of the MTA, uh, FTMTA uh, annual event recently. Uh, so much so, uh, and so much of it, that we couldn't bring it to uh, you shortly after. Plenty, of course, with Noel in the lead up to it. But uh, lots of very interesting stuff happening, as always, at that event. And our first couple of pieces will uh, be about that um, later on. We'll hear from um, a variety of people, including the um, business director for New Holland, about, look, it's tar kick and stuff. It's very, very interesting. And it's always intriguing. We find that people are very interested in what's happening in technology. We'll be talking to uh, Carol Dignan, the president of the MT. FTMTA and also as I say David Rapkins who's business director of UK and Ireland for New Holland George will be along later Eric Driver will have the uh, Tullamart report but first we talk or rather Matt spoke to uh, the president of the Agricultural Science Association about their upcoming annual conference face to face in September Professor Tommy Boland of UCD joins me on the line. Now, I should refer to you, Tommy, as Mr. President, because for this year, at least, you're president of the Agricultural Science Association and uh, organising its annual major conference coming up in, what, September? That's correct, Matt. Hello. Uh, Good to chat to you again. Tommy will do just fine in terms of what you call me. There's no need for, for any titles. I'm just keeping the seat warm for this year. Yes, we have our annual conference and banquet taking place for the Agricultural Science Association on the 7th of September. And this year, the conference and banquet are taking place in the Kilishi Hotel in Nace. It's not far out the road from where I am today uh, here at Lyons, Lyons Research Farm. So last year saw the ASA conference return to a face-to-face event after COVID disruption for the previous uh, two years. And that presented an opportunity to change the sequencing of events a little bit. So we have switched um, in 2022 to a an event where we have the conference taking place in the morning time, followed by the banquet on the afternoon. So we're following the same model this year again. As I say, the conference is taking place on the 7th of September, which is which is a Thursday. Yeah, and uh, it's it's proving to be ever more popular. Always uh, full full attendances. I think it's one of the, the key strengths of our agri-food sector, Matt, is the willingness of people to come together and, and to network. And when I was, you know, a young graduate, I didn't really appreciate the importance of networking and, and community. But one of the key strengths of the Agricultural Science Association, it, it brings together a range of people holding a wide range of roles right across the agri-food sector, it brings them together, brings them together for the conference, brings them together for the banquet. It's become a really important event in the annual calendar for the agri-food sector. Now, highlight some of the speakers and topics that you're dealing with. So the, the, the theme of the conference this year is the science of sustainable food systems. And everybody's aware of the challenges that society as a whole is facing around sustainability. And it's not just environmental sustainability, it's social sustainability and it's economic sustainability. So we're bringing together a group of, of, of industry experts nationally and internationally to discuss you know, the good work that's being done around primary production, around food processing, and around the agri-tech sector, an area where Ireland is very, very strong in delivering on these sustainability challenges. 
And given that the ASA conference always has an international as well as a, as a national perspective, how far along the journey are other countries, Tommy? That's a re- that's a really good question, man. We we had an event in the School of Agriculture and Food Science back in December, and we had an one of the very few countries internationally that has a plan for the agri food sector. We hear an awful lot um, in in the media around the challenges facing our sector, and maybe some incorrect accusations that agriculture is not doing anything to address this problem. But we're we're at the forefront of the efforts internationally in terms of putting together a plan and putting together a roadmap for how the agri-food sector are going to address their sustainability challenges. When you mentioned the the balance, uh, Tommy, between environmental and economic and social, uh, I I presume that will be fully reflected in in the conference proceedings. That's correct, Matt. That balance and that need for balance is is reflected in our agenda for for the conference. So we're going to hear from farmers and, you know, maybe... As an industry, we can sometimes be guilty of talking to farmers rather than talking with farmers. So we will hear the farmer perspective in terms of you know, what farmers are doing on the ground to address these sustainability challenges. There was recent data produced by my colleagues in the School of Agriculture and Food Science, which shows some of the pressures that farmers are under in terms of you know, mental health challenges and, and the risks that's, that's actually encountered by farmers and some of the drivers behind those feelings and those risks amongst the farming population. So it's really important to understand the farmer's voice, you know, what it means to for those farmers to produce environmentally friendly products in a manner that will allow them to generate a good income from for their family, from their farm, and to support the local and the regional communities. And then we'll hear from the food processing sector. You know, we'll hear from international companies. Joran Diekman, who's the head of the Nestle Institute of Agricultural Sciences, will join the conference. And he's going to speak, along with Margaret Berry, who's the head of sustainability in KEPAC, around what the food processor can do, how they serve as the kind of conduit between the consumer and the primary producer, and what can be done to support the primary producer in terms of addressing these challenges. And then in the afternoon, we're going to hear from, from Jim Bergen from Tierlawn and from Tara McCart from Maltec around, you know, what good work is taking place in terms of providing solutions for farmers and making these solutions attractive to apply at farm level. They're just some of the names of the people who will speak at our event. Yeah, and Tommy, your, your, your own institution, if I can call UCD, that uh, very much to the forefront in terms of researching practical solutions to the challenges facing farmers. I'm, I'm talking, for instance, about reaching that 25% uh, reduction in emissions in, in a very tight time scale. That's correct, Matt. And, you know, maybe when we're having these conversations 10 or 15 years ago about reducing emissions from the agri-food sector, there might have been a feeling or an anticipation among certain quarters that there was going to be some silver bullet solution. It's abundantly clear that there's no one strategy that we're going to develop or implement or apply that's going to solve all the challenges. And it's really looking at developing a suite of tools uh, which are available to, to farmers and to the entire uh, food system and food sector from which a range of options can be chosen to, to deliver solutions. We recently attended uh, the launch of the new marginal abatement cost curve or MAC3 by Chagas. And what came through very clearly there was that we do have a number of options available to us at the moment to address nitrous oxide emissions. And if we're talking about greenhouse gases, 
nitrous oxide emissions uh, are an important greenhouse gas. What is clear is that we have less options available to address the problem of enteric methane emissions from our livestock sector. And that's where ourselves in UCD and other colleagues nationally and internationally are working to come up with those solutions. That's a that's an area that's very much uh, part of your expertise, Tommy. You you did a PhD around the whole area of uh, maternal nutrition, and you lecture on ruminant nutrition. The practicalities I'm very interested in of an additive. Uh, there are additives on the market already, but the practicalities of uh, applying them in pasture grazing systems. How far along are we in terms of research and development in that sphere? That's a, a really good question, Matt. And, you know, if you look at where a lot of the companies who are developing products in this area are focused, they're focused on on systems where animals are being fed indoors and be fed TMRs or, or total mixed ration diets. And they're a, probably an easier environment to apply a feed additive. You mix it in with the diet and every mouthful of feed the animal consumes, they're getting the additive, which is there to, to, to reduce the amount of methane those animals consume. In pasture-based systems, it's quite a different scenario. We pride ourselves in Ireland on, you know, the pasture-based or the grass-fed nature of our meat and our and our milk products. And we really don't want to be moving away from that. So in order for us to have feed additives that can work in our pasture-based systems, we need to take a different approach. And those approaches look are looking at, you know, developing a slow-release additive, something that the animal can consume in the morning time. If you take a dairy cow, she visits the parlour twice a day in most cases. And we feed some level of concentrates to those cows. If we can add in a feed additive to that concentrate, that's slowly released over the next six or eight hours. That's a really, uh, I suppose, exciting strategy to reduce methane emissions from those animals. Other technologies are also being investigated in the space of, can we administer a bolus to our cows or to our cattle? And that bolus will slowly release a methane mitigating agent over three months or six months or nine months. And then the third option, which we are recently investigating here here at Lions, and other people around the world are looking at this as well. Can we supply some ingredient or some agent through the water system to our animals, animals that are maybe not being fed meals like beef cattle, and that additive delivered to the water system will mitigate the enteric methane? These areas of study are at the very early stage, but you know there has been a lot of investment by the government and by private industry into developing these solutions, and you know there's very good work going on at the moment, Matt. We don't have a solution that can be readily applied in the morning, but we're getting closer. The role, you mentioned the Lions Estate Dairy Herd, uh, Tommy. The role of that high uh, production cow, relatively high inputs, but ultimately more efficient uh, production, therefore lower carbon per, per, per unit of milk produced. How applicable is that to the general commercial dairy farm around the country? The, the model that's run here in, in Lions, Matt, my colleagues, Karina Pearson, Finbar, Mulligan and others have done a, a lot of really good work on this in the recent past. We refer to it as a higher input, higher output system. So in that system, those cows are, it's a grass-based system. They're being fed 1.5 tonne of concentrate on a fresh weight basis per year. And those cows are producing just under 600 kilograms of milk solids per lactation. If we look at the national average cow, that national average cow was probably being fed about 1.2 tons of concentrate per lactation. And their milk solids production is somewhere in the region of 400 to 450 kilos of milk solids per lactation. I don't think it's useful to get into direct comparisons between one system and another for a whole range of reasons. Some systems will suit some people better than other systems. 
I think the key point with any production system or operating is that you can have very efficient production or less efficient production within any type of system. And the key is to maximizing the efficiency within any individual system rather than saying everybody should be one system or the other. But with the system operating in lines, you know, our carbon output per kilogram of milk solids would compare with the very, very best figures nationally and internationally. Tommy, one final broad-based question, I suppose. I'm not quite sure how to put this. Uh, in order for science to operate, it requires knowledge, and knowledge requires infrastructure to, to gather up information and data. In regard to monitoring and measuring and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, how how well developed is that information in, infrastructure? If, if you'd have asked me that question five years ago, Matt, I'd have given you a very different answer. We, we have seen huge investment in the infrastructure over the last five years. Uh, we look at, you know, and this is you know, this is very specific type of equipment I'm talking about here, but we look at carbon flux towers for measuring carbon exchange at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a catchment scale or at a field scale or at a paddock scale. And, you know, Ireland has the, has the largest concentration of those particular pieces of, of equipment anywhere in the world. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's driven by our colleagues in Chagas and funding through the Department of Agriculture and Industry and, and other sources. We've also invested heavily across the across the research providing organizations in recent years in, in green feed units. And again, a very specific piece of equipment for measuring methane emissions from our ruminant livestock. In fact, I've just I've just come in from the yard, Matt, where we've taken delivery of two small ruminant green feed units. I, I think they're the first in, in the Republic of Ireland. And that will allow us to measure methane emissions from, from sheep and from, from younger cattle. So there's really been huge investment in this area. I think it signifies the importance of the agri-food sector nationally, that our government and, and, and various private organisations and, and, and companies are willing to invest in this type of infrastructure. And also just the degree of seriousness that the wider agri-food sector is placing on and their commitment to addressing this challenge around reducing greenhouse gas emissions from our agri-food sector and continuing the good work that's been taking place for decades and highlighting, you know, the environmental credentials of our production systems. Tommy Boland, thank you very much for uh, joining me this evening and uh, the very best of luck with your, your Agricultural Science Association conference coming up in not that too distant future in September. Thanks very much, Matt, and I look forward to seeing you on today. Very hopeful uh, research and practical applications of, of I suppose, what's, what's largely regarded as aspirational. Um, pressure put on farmers and uh, time frames very very tight that's encouraging stuff from uh, Tommy Boland and uh, we'll put the details of the conference if you're a member already you'll probably know but it's happening in early September and thanks to Tommy and to Matt for pulling that together more interviews with Matt as I say he's not with us this evening we'll be talking uh, well as he said himself at one stage going <laughs> it was in Leopardstown but it was horsepower we were talking about they're coming up after these The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. I'm standing here beside a New Holland tractor, the T7 300, uh, as the number indicates, a 300 horsepower tractor. David Rapkins is beside me. David, your your, your job title, first of all. Sure. Good morning. Business Director for New Holland, UK and Ireland. So you have charge of pretty much everything that happens uh, in New Holland for Ireland and the UK. Absolutely. That's correct. So sales and service and parts. Now, tell me about this tractor, first of all, because I'm very impressed with it. It's, it's your newest offering. It's our newest baby, yeah, and it's 300 horsepower with the new cab, which we're delighted to be showcasing here at the FTMTA. The, the new cab is, is, you know, a total different game changer for us in terms of 
comfort, fit and finish, etc. And it's been exceptionally well received by customers and, and, and our dealers alike. So we're delighted. Yeah, because a lot of farmers now, particularly at the upper end of the, of the acreage scale, looking for a lot of technology on their tractors. Absolutely. And it's not just the iron anymore. People want the complexity of the, the system. They want the sophistication of, of data manipulation, understanding where the tractor is, what it's doing, what fuel usage which fields has it been in, et cetera, et cetera. And they want to see that on their phone or on their desktop computer. Yeah, this, so this feeds all information right back there to that laptop or, or indeed your, your iPhone if, uh, if that's what you want. Exactly. And, and also it goes into the dealers as well. So dealers can understand when a unit is ready for service and preempt booking the service in with the customer. So we do the service when the customer would prefer. So out of, out of the busy periods, et cetera. And again, if there's a uh, an early warning of a perhaps an issue, we can preempt that before the machine has a, an issue. Um, yeah, so, so it's one of those tractors uh, that I regularly hear about now, where the, the the dealership or the service provider knows more about something going wrong in the tractor more quickly than the, than the operator. Exactly, and I think the key is more it's about preventative maintenance and, and being proactive. So not you know waiting for an issue, it's perhaps stopping something happening in the first place. Now, of course, as I understand New Holland, a huge range of, and we'll stick with tractors for the moment, huge range of tractors for every pocket and for every application. A lot of farmers don't need or want that kind of sophistication. So what else is there? So we still offer a wide range of, of mechanical, hydraulic, you know, remote spool valves, etc. Less complexity in terms of precision farming because not everybody needs to be able to map crops, etc., not everybody wants automatic steering, so we still offer, again, a wide range of, of standard machines, which are priced accordingly, um, and a great either scraper tractors, loader tractors, you know, just general trailer work, etc. Um, so again, we've got new additions to that range with the T5 and, and T6 models, um, but all the way down into the Boomer range, so you know, the sort of sub, you know, 50 horsepower. Um, so a great, a great portfolio, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm really pleased to represent with New Holland is we have, you know, the, the best portfolio we've we've ever had. Yeah, very broad ranging outside of tractors at all. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And tell me now, you're relatively new in your role encompassing the UK and Ireland. What are your ambitions for the Irish market? For sure. So the first thing for me is to is to really have a close bond with my dealer network, and uh, already since the six months I've been in the role pleased to say as of yesterday I've now visited every dealer in Ireland um, and spent time with with the team not just the management of those dealerships but meeting the parts people and the service people which to me are vital to our success um, and it's it's really making sure they feel truly partnered with New Holland um, and we share you know the challenges of the industry together not it's them and us so we want to continue to grow share, keep a stable market share, and, and make sure everybody's supporting each other in that in that you know in that opportunity. Yeah, I recollect seeing a, a, a farmer survey on uh, tractor purchase and ownership a, a few years ago, and a couple of the the big items were the whole idea of it being relatively local, that service was immediate when they lift a phone, they can get a part and they can get a, a service person out. And I presume New Holland is still t taking that attitude. Absolutely, yeah. No, whether it's being at the end of the phone, if there's uh, a need to give some technical support or even product installation, making sure we're helping the dealers with end users really get the best out of the product from a, here's your new machine, we're not just going to drop it off and, and run. We're going to help you know install it properly, show you all the features, show you all the benefits. 
and make sure you know the customer feels really valued and and, and you know really enjoys that first you know first days or weeks with the new machine now a lot of work being done on alternative uh, fuels mm. and power models uh, i know the diesel engine going to be around for a long long time yet but new holland have been making taking steps absolutely so we're again really fortunate and very pleased and privileged to be offering already now a methane powered tractor so this is you know capturing methane either from a slurry lagoon from a dairy farm or from an ad plant taking that gas with a little bit of compression a little bit of chemistry and then taking that that gas and fueling a tractor and in fact we have in in cornwall a farm that is off grid so it's it's basically running its tractors with the methane from its dairy farm it's capturing rain that falls on the slurry lagoon because we cover the lagoon with a effectively a, a, a bag that stops the gas escaping but that bag also enables us to capture the rain so they can use the rainwater to, to wash down the dairy uh, and and you know water the the, the livestock uh, the gas is running the tractors the gas can also power generators to produce electricity so that farm is is off grid um, a, a, a virtuous circle. Yeah. Now, going back to that methane power tractor, because I, I've seen the example of it here, and the tanks are, are, are nice and tidy because yeah. you do need large tanks. You do, you do. And the, the beauty with methane, and this is why the company's invested heavily in it, is that the actual size of tank to keep the fuel quantity to give you the autonomy to, let's say, plus or minus match what you would get in terms of usage hours versus diesel... It's it's not that dissimilar. So yeah. So you're telling me now that I can I can tank up whether it's diesel or whether it's methane in the morning and do a full day's grind. Exactly that. So we're at that stage. Correct. And in terms then of the competitiveness of one fuel against the other, and I know methane will be coming down in price as, as it becomes more more available. Yeah, that's it. And I think the, the for us it's about the autonomy. So getting the the length of our, of hours in the day, making sure it's readily available. And that's the bit we're, you know, we're continuing to grow now and work on with the infrastructure and, and offering, you know, whether it's a dairy farm or an AD plant, the way to capture the gas. Um, but then when we capture it, not only are we going to supply that farm, but take the gas from that farm and then deliver it to other farms that perhaps don't have the means to harvest their own methane. Yeah, hugely developing industry. Mm. Tell me, David, while I, while, while I have you here now, where do you think... And you mentioned the word autonomous in another in, a, in in another version of it. But where do you think autonomous tractors is going? My understanding is the technology is there; they could drive themselves for the entire day. But there's a lack of confidence out there amongst operators. What's stopping it becoming the norm? Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. The technology is there. I think it's the the regulations and the the sort of safety and the control. Um, I think it's also confidence from end users that, you know, we'll be ready to make that step. It's time will come. I think it's becoming harder for everybody to find good operators and operators that are, you know, prepared to, to drive machines for long hours. Um, but I think it's a, it's a, it's an evolution, not a revolution. And of course, there's part of that evolution there, the 300, for instance, or the combines. A lot of the time, the operator now is just sitting there. There's automatic steering and there's um, crop setting adjustments, laser for 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 cutting a crop or harvesting yeah. a crop and so on. Laser yeah. adjustments, yeah. And that's that's where I think our focus is in the next years is to really give the operator as much help. So you could put, you know, a junior member, a less experienced member on a machine, 
but the machine is going to get the best out of itself without somebody having to have years of, of knowledge and experience. And, and again, like, like, you know, some of the modern aeroplanes, you know, you need technology to help, help you operate it. That's the same with some of our machines now, but, you know, it's, it's adding value. It's helping the operator feel less tired at the end of the day because it's taking some of the, you know, the, the sort of yeah, the brain fatigue, power, the yeah. fatigue yeah. away, and, and that's a, a, a benefit for sure. We've dealt with diesel and methane, David, but of course, uh, electric is a whole new area. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit dubious about, you know, bad, the battery size and that necessary, but w- where are we with that technology? For sure, for us, for the smaller machines, we have the capability to store battery packs sufficient to give you the autonomy for, again, a day's work. So on the T4, T5 range of tractors, you know, in the next two years, we would anticipate launching a battery-operated tractor. Small machine, for sure, but that will run all day with a one-hour fast charge. So, you know, on the smaller equipment, we see electric as playing a part going forwards. On the bigger equipment, for sure, it's back to the methane and and gas, etc. But also with electrification and autonomy, it's not just about how the vehicle is propelled. We're also going to use more and more sensors. Um, So one of our machines has a lot of sensors built into the roof so if you don't need to be driving the tractor you can stand in the field and with gestures with your hands you can control the machine and bring the machine forwards or stop the machine so if you're a lettuce grower or you know you're working in the you know an operation where you don't need to be in the cab the, the technology exists for you to command the machine from from without being in the cab and that's a, again exciting when, when it comes to you know added safety etc so the sensors can watch for obstacles. They can watch for you know, people getting in the way. And again, the machine will you know know to move around rather than carry on. So uh, yeah, I think from alternate fuels, it's not just gas; it's electric, but also with technology and, and sensing. It's it's you know again all about getting more efficiency out of the machine and making it easier for the operator, especially for those operators that are you know less skilled let's say we're, we're, we're in the middle of a revolution a, a precision farming revolution aren't we and and indeed not the demise of the internal combustion engine but so many variations on the energy theme now mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of lot of schools of thought as to where we go uh, i think one size is not going to fit all i think uh, you know if i watch how this is going to play out i think there'll be different different opportunities or different methods um, because yeah, every every one has its pros and cons for sure. But you know, from the methane point of view, for us having that same, let's say, calorific value or, or you know power that's coming from the gas that's you know similar to diesel, that means you don't have lots and lots of tanks. You're not requiring lots and lots of space. Um, to me, you know, is, is the way forwards. Yeah, and appropriate that we should be uh, chatting here at Punchestown Racecourse because it really is going to be horses for courses, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, listen, thanks, David. The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com. Well, Dagnan, we spoke last year. Uh, you've been elevated since then. Right. President of the FTMTA. That's a two-year term. Two-year term, yeah. Started last January, so hopefully it run for two years. Unless <laughs> I get ousted. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, we'll wish you well in that regard. We're here at Punchestown Racecourse, not for horses, but for horsepower. It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous exhibition. Yeah, in fairness, it's, it's 
come on leaps and bounds even from last year with a few more exhibitors in there's a lot a lot more machines here um, it's going from strength to strength. Yeah, just like the FGMTA itself, it seems to be in the, the dealerships, the structures around the country, the service providers, seems to be very well organised. It is, yeah. The, the whole industry here, since I even started in it, has come on leaps and bounds. Like, uh, we've become a very professional industry here in the last few years. It's a challenge, even in terms of having the kind of service personnel, let's target that, for instance, that can that can service these machines because they're, they're, so many of them are so sophisticated now. That's a challenge in itself. It is. Uh, look, it's, it's difficult to attract staff in. And it's a different type of service man we need now. Like, it's, it's not so much spanners. There's so much diagnostic equipment, electronics. You know, nearly need an IT background to, to manage your way through it. But I know we all provide plenty of training for various technicians. But it's a different breed of what was there 20 years ago. One of the biggest uh, exhibitions here is the the class range, which of course you're intimately associated with. Uh, I won't say all of the range here, but most of it. Most of it's here, yeah. We have the full range of tractors here. We've got a 3660 terror track here and a Jaguar as well, but some machines we couldn't get because we were sold out of like the rakes and some of the smaller mowers. But value-wise in the stand here, we've roughly three and a half million here on this stand. So, it, and it's only a small representation of the products we do. Yeah, and of course, Class prides itself on being a full-range uh, machinery company. Yes, we're, we're probably one of the only full-range companies out there. We do everything from small drum mowers right the way up to terror-track combines, loading shovels, teleporters, tractors. You know, there's very, we're unique in that regard. Yeah, and it's complex enough because you have to have one for everyone in the audience. I mean, the, the 50 or 100-acre uh, cow farmer hasn't the same demand or need as a 1,000-acre cereal farmer. No, no, he doesn't. So that's why we, we employ a broad range of people and we have a broad range of dealers in the country as well catering for everybody but yeah you're right we so we have tractors from 50 horsepower right the way up to 500 horsepower we've mowers there from seven foot right the way up to 50 foot you know so we can accommodate anybody really yeah and that's and that's hugely important listen i can't let you go without discussing what we're leaning here against i know it's only for a, a minority of very large scale uh cereal farmers well what are we looking at attract attract harvester yes uh so this is a tree on 660 a walker machine on TerraTrack, so you need TerraTrack system to ourselves. 25-foot Vario head sitting in the front of it. The, we launched the tree on range last season, and it's been hugely successful. The, but we have currently, we, this year now, we'll have 35 units working in the country. Yeah, because people say, sure, what, what would an Irish farmer want with that? But that's not the reality. No, the, the reality is we, we're probably over-equipped here in Ireland, but we've weather restraints here, is that we don't have a big harvesting window, so we need big machines to get through the work fairly quick. Yeah, even here, it tells you the truth of it, a shower will stop harvesting of winter barley or anything. Uh, the reality is that, that that proverbial window, and you have to mm. you have to be well-scaled up to manage it. You do. Uh, like You can look at all the years, and lads will blissfully remember the good years, but on average, we have a 16-day harvest window. In Ireland. I'm hearing that there's a big lead in time now in terms of when you're interested in a tractor, when you order it and when it'll land in your farmyard. Yeah, it was it was a very big issue there during COVID component supply was a fair issue. 
lead times are getting slightly better now, but they're still, depending on the spec you want or the model you want, you could be waiting up to nine months. Farmers have come to realise that, that they need to plan ahead, the same as the dealers need to plan ahead. Yeah, most of them have, and dealers as well, and that's why you'll see a lot of stock levels and dealers all around the country going up because they're anticipating this lead time, so, and a lot of customers won't wait or, or can't wait, depending on their situation, but it's and it's caused a lot not a lot of issues there down your life you know cash flow issues stocking issues these guys have gone from stocking maybe 10 machines to stocking 40 you know and they all have to be paid for too yeah a lot of a uh, lot of lot of finance necessary tell me let's finish up uh, by going back to the start of our conversation, President of FTMTA, this is a biannual event. Are you uh, planning to integrate it every second year again with grass and muck, or where, where, where's the state of play there? That's that's what our hope is for the future. We're currently working with the different venues that we are working at to try and get back into our, our traditional calendars. So, but we probably won't have clarity on that for another couple of months. But that's where we we're hoping to get. Thank you very much, Carl. No problem. Well, there you go. Your fill of uh, tech and appalling horsepower puns. Um, that was Matt in conversation with the uh, the president of the FDMTA, Carl Dyna. And uh, food for thought as well. Uh, pardon the pun. Um, methane production or methane reduction and then the use of methane as a power source for um, what Matt has called precision farming. Very, very interesting stuff. To uh, Tullo and uh, Eric Driver. Smaller sale today in Tullow with just a 1,000 sheep on offer. With the trade for those good heavy sheep still holding steady while the store trade. Seeing a few more farmer customers again around the ring here and a positive demanding there for those nice clean 32, 33 kilos. Over some prices then. Looking at those dams over 47 kilos, they're selling there from 143 and 4 up to a top call there today of 156 there for 48 kilos. Uh, with uh, a good lively trade then for those uh, factory type lambs. Well, that's with lambs with flesh there, 42, 43, 44 kilos there, the mid-120 up to the 133 and 4. While we would see uh, the store trade here, 30, 32, 33 kilos there. Stay selling in the region there from the mid-80s up to 94 and 5 euros, depending on type and quality, with the 37, 38, 39 kilos, 195, 96, up to 103 or 4 again, quality differential on the price. Over to the cash yo trade here. Good lively trade for those heavy yo's up to a top call there of 262 today. Lots of yo's there between the 170 and 190 mark with the good feed and store type yo selling there from 160 to 180 a kilo. Uh, over in the brood ring there, Hoggachos, top call there of uh, 230 euro there for Hoggachos. And just to remind everyone that cattle sale on Friday. Thank you. And thanks very much, Eric. And uh, George joins me in the in the studio a little earlier than usual uh, this week, but um, good to see you, George. And uh, we're, we're just, uh, I thought I was dreaming. We've been talking about methane production, methane reduction, um, and it's, you know, the pressure that's coming on farmers. I have an, I thought it was first, the 1st of April, but there are, um, serious efforts being made in Wales. Now, everybody knows the daffodil is the, the, the one of the, well, symbols, the dragon being the other. Anyone who's ever been in a rugby match will see plenty of both, but now they're talking about using them as a feedstuff. Have you come across that or am I, am uh, no, I reading? No, no, it's possible, all right, because yeah. there's so many, many arguments to and from. And, and actually, <laughs> one of the proposals a couple of weeks ago was that we uh, would um, cut the herd by 65,000 cows per year. So we got into 20, 
to um, avail of cutting methane production. Okay, now, this is absolute lunacy for the simple fact Brazil now are sending is sending more beef to Europe. It possibly is ending up in Ireland. It's coming from Brazil, where they don't have a grass face like we have. Uh, they're cutting down loads of the Amazon forest, as everyone knows. Mm. And um, uh, it's been approved. Now, look at cl- climate warming, etc., etc. And, and you know, the whole thing is a joke at the moment. Yeah. And really, someone should c- take control because it's so frustrating. Beef at the moment in Ireland is being cut five cent, five cent, five cent per week. Um, uh, a concerted effort. Uh, there seems to be a flood of Brazilian beef on the market. Um, Naturally enough, it's damaging big time. And the, the the worst of it is, I feel that if it continues, you'll see a lot of uh, producers of beef no longer continuing because it's not a viable pros- proposition. Right. Well, we'll get more uh, local information on the March report uh, with you, George, in just uh, a minute and a half. The Farm Show on KCLR. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. George, how are things locally? Uh, well, Martin, today in Kilkenny, a uh, bigger sale of cattle, 800 and offer. Uh, more subdued trade for the beef bullocks and heifers. Uh, trade for the quality continental bullocks and heifers is is very strong. And uh, the price range here from 270 to 360 for the real McCoy. Cull cows, once again, uh, remain in a, a good, solid trade. Now, 600 kilo plus bullocks. They range from 2 euro to 3.11 per kilo. That's 1,100 euro to 21.20 per head. 5 to 600 kilo bullock from 230 to 295 per kilo or a price range of 980 to 1660 per head with a 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 190 to 355 per kilo of from 650 to 1510 per head. Under 400 kilo price range here from 170 to 345 per kilo that's 550 to 1100 euro per head. In the cow division the Frisian cull cows from 103 to 220 per kilo with the continents from 170 to 256 per kilo. Beef heifers range in price from 230 to 295 per kilo that's 1400 euro to 1960 per head the four store heifers from uh, 2 euro to 280 per kilo or a price range of uh, 980 to 1380 per head with the lighter types types from 180 to 311 per kilo or from 550 to uh, 1090 per head so martin what's going on at the moment is that there's um, a lack of uh, want from the factories uh, they say they they're 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 supplied with enough beef. They don't need it. They're cutting prices on a constant basis. The problem with this is it's eroding confidence and it's eroding people who have supplied cattle to factories for years. And if this uh, continues, because a lot of hurt out there, there's a lot of money being lost. And if this continues, I can see it where a lot of uh, uh, feeders will will just leave the game altogether. And that that's a dangerous thing. And as I said, at the moment, uh, there's a lot of beef coming into Europe from Brazil. And that, that logically doesn't make sense. How do you bring beef from a place that is cutting down Amazon forests? Uh, that is your real problem. And, and transporting and it. The tra- literally, exactly. The literally transport across the world. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy scenario yeah. that needs to be addressed. And, and the sooner it's addressed, the better. And, and there's an awful lot of frustration out there at the moment, Martin. Mm. On the sheep front, uh, smaller in Kilkenny, 550. Uh, the uh, butcher lands from uh, one 145 to 177 euro per head 
Uh, for example, there, 55 kilo, 177, 54 kilo, 173, 52 kilo, 168. So good salad trade there for the, uh, and they seem to be scarce though with good quality, uh, butcher type lamb. Uh, the factory lamb from 115 to 144 per head and the cool use from 94 to 191 per head. Now Monday is a bank holiday, so there's no sale in Kilkenny, uh, but we do on the following day, we have the Premier Belle Claire sale. There's a hundred rams there. These are from all over Ireland. This Belle Claire sale on, on Tuesday the 8th. Uh, 100 rams and 30 ewes. That sale kicks off at 1 o'clock. Before that, we'll have our general sheep sale at 10.15 uh, with whatever cards available also at about half past 12. On next Thursday, we have our general sale of cattle. And uh, uh, Tinnahili should be on next uh, next Monday, weather permitting. And uh, I, I may see you, some of you there. But closer to home, the Innistig uh, Day, that's all at uh, the August Bank holiday. That's on the sun- next Sunday in Innistig. And it's a great place to be because there's loads to see. Loads to see. You see thrashing. You see vintage cars. You see hundreds of cars. Uh, so if you have nothing better to do on, on Sunday, it's worth your while coming down to Innistig. So Innistig on Sunday, Tinnahili on Monday. That's where my weekend has gone, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did say, I, I, you said it, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms, so I, but, I, you know, it comes back to something we were saying during the break. You were saying, where is the summer gone? Um, there's more weather warnings on the way. There's there's um, a, a yellow and, and orange and all this sort of thing. And people running outdoor events, yeah, yeah. just to talk about them for the moment. That's just, you well, know, that Martin, was just. For example, take, take last weekend, last sales. weekend, last Sunday was it was in Ossery Show in Northtown. Yeah. You know, a great show, super cattle, super exhibitors. But they cancelled the week before because right. they thought of the that they, yeah. because of the weather. They held it again last uh, last week. It was um, I dressed up warm and and and, and uh, waterproofs etc. Yeah. It was grand, but it had an awful effect on the gate. Yeah. A very small crowd, and it you know the the amount of work uh, and remember all these shows are put on by volunteers That's, who give their yeah. time yeah. Uh, and, uh, dedication. They're working off very, very exactly. tight margins. So, Everything that costs, margins, they have to find cetera. money. So yeah. really, um, uh, uh, one thing in this country, Martin, unfortunately, we can't do anything about the weather. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's face it, July was a washout yeah, and August isn't much better. No, it hasn't started well, has it? No, no. And, and, now, you know, this evening, only... mind, you're looking out here at the studio this yeah. evening. Oh, it's, oh, it's lovely now. And, and, and Someone but, listening in Connemara might be might be enjoying the sunshine also, but yeah. really we do need we do need a spell of uh, of dry weather. And for non farmers, we get get this constant. You know, it's 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 lazy stereotyping, and people just hear what they want to hear. If you listen to farming programs like I do, and with your good self and Matt, there there is a balance to be struck. But you know, at a certain time of the year is the right time for it to be dry, or ideally should be dry a certain amount of time later. There needs to be, a, you know, rain. What's, well, what look, seems look to be it, happening look. is it's, 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 it's. Ask about face, yeah. basically. Look at a tillage man. You know, there's an yeah. awful lot of, of corn still to be cut out there. There's uh, some corn would be lodged because of the bad weather, etc., etc. And it's it's and it's financially number one. It's a worrying time financially. Yeah. There's a, an awful lot of loss out there mm-hmm. uh, if this tillage isn't being able to be saved. And there's there's an impact again with with the war, the war in Ukraine. There was um, whatever the escalation was felt by Russia that uh, you know somebody described it. They got a taste of their own medicine. The first thing they did was. They say, right, that grain deal we had, even though we were at war, we're not playing ball anymore. That 
may not happen immediately, but that does have an impact. Of on, course it does. It's, it, it's the breadbasket of Europe bread and a lot of, a lot of the world, actually. Very, very, very true, Martin. And, and, and really what's going on in Ukraine is absolutely appalling. And not only loss of life, but, mm. but, but the, the, the fact that they actually have bombed some of the, uh, the, uh, the grain, uh, storage Silence, places, yeah. you know? So, so really, uh, it's, they obviously, you know, it looks as though, um, Putin and company don't give two sugars mm. and they'll do what they can but, until someday maybe that, that's sense, any, but that, like all wars yeah. Martin like all wars a uh, solution needs and has to be reached yeah. sooner rather than later oh, no, to, you, for, for yeah. all those reasons but, yes. but to come back to that point you're making about weather and its impact particularly on tillage the timing of this I mean you can bring cattle in you know, if the weather is bad, you cannot do that with your crops. No, the you crops can't. stay uh, where and, they are. Really Good, bad, a, or indifferent. And it, too it, much it, rain or too little rain is is very true. And, yeah. and and once again, people say our farmers are always complaining about the weather. But they but have like, to. But psychologically, psychologically, Martin, when the sun is shining, what a difference people's moods are. You yeah. know, what oh, a difference. Look, I mean, e- even the simple thing, you get down to a traffic light and there's a or, or, or a roundabout or yeah. somebody needs it at that extra split second. If, the, if it's raining, you scowl. Yes. But if it's a sunny day, you have the yeah. window open, you wave people on, they wave you back, the humour is great. Yes, That's yes. fine. As you say, psychologically is one thing, <laughs> but there's a very real uh, difficulty for farmers. But... We, I, I just have to say, there's so much uh, positivity coming out of the pieces that we recorded. I mean, we're talking about methane as a problem. They've got mitigation in terms of uh, feed and water and all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, at the far end, if we do have methane, it looks as if the, the technology providers are using a way of harnessing methane so we could have this kind of circular beneficial effect. Yeah, However, we, we George, need some good thank news. you as always and thanks to all our contributors this evening. As we say every week, uh, thank you for listening. Farm well, farm safely and we'll talk to you again next week. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.